I'm going to be sharing a picture today that I often use in my counseling practice. And um, I'm going to weave in some pieces of my own story. And I have a feeling it's something that we all can relate to because to me this pretty much summarizes and describes the journey and the walk that I think a lot of us do. Uh, I grew up in Topeka, Kansas in the 60s and 70s, and Topeka was a relatively small city. Um, it felt very innocent to me. It felt very simple and kind of like a Mayberry, a bigger Mayberry, and it was just kind of an innocent time of life. And I remember um, our family, you know, we lived in a house next to a church because my dad was the pastor. And we never locked our doors and we never locked our windows. Our house was pretty much just open all the time. And um, it was maybe symbolic a little bit. Um, I grew up in this Lutheran bubble. My dad was a Lutheran pastor and I went to a Lutheran church and I did Lutheran catechism and I went to a Lutheran grade school and we had Lutheran health insurance and we went to a Lutheran hospital. <laughs> and so we really, if you're Lutheran out there, you, Missouri Synod especially, you know what I'm talking about. And um, so we were in this bubble where it was pretty much we absorbed everything of you know, um, we were told what to think, what to feel, how to be, how to behave, how to act, and it was just like we were in this, this um, little enclosed thing. And there were some messages that came through in the middle of that that for me were things like just don't draw attention to yourself in any way. Not in appearance, uh, not in emotion, and not in behavior. And I remember as a kid, several of us probably needed braces, and Dad's response was always, those are the teeth God gave you. And, um, you know, and so none of us had braces, even though we probably needed them. Um, you know, we, it was kind of this idea that children are to be seen and not heard. I'm sure some of you can relate to that. And that um, emotion really wasn't allowed, don't cry or I'll give you something to cry about, that mentality. I think some of you can relate to that. Uh, Dad's authority ruled, and we were kind of expected to just fall in line, and because it was a pastor, this, this uh, unspoken message was, don't do anything to make Dad look bad, uh, because he was a pastor, and he needed to be able to speak his message and all that. So I grew up really becoming kind of a people pleaser, and um, avoiding conflict at all costs, and finding ways to make other people happy. And uh, we had several safe topics in our family that we could talk about. Um, anything that was funny, uh, anything that was about sports, and anything, of course, that was Lutheran. And I know that as a young adult, I carried this into young adulthood, and as I started to date, I really felt like I was kind of a chameleon. I would kind of take on whatever, whoever I was dating. If they liked racquetball, I took up racquetball. If they played poker, I took up poker. If they smoked pot, I tried pot. And I just kind of felt like, um, like I didn't have much of a sense of who I am. So I'm going to show you this little video, and it came from the movie Fences, and it's really the trailer from the movie. And while this is a little more intense than what I grew up with, it does carry some of the flavors of what I'm describing to you. Hey, Pop, mm. can I ask you a question? How come you ain't never liked me? Like you? What law is there say I got to like you? None. All right, then. Don't you eat every day? 
Answer me when I talk to you. Don't you eat every day? Yeah. As long as you're in my house, you put a sir on the end of it when you talk to me. Yes, sir. You eat every day. Yes, sir. Got a roof over your head. Yes, sir. Got clothes on your back. Yes, sir. Why do you think that is? Because of you. <laughs> Hell, I know it's because of me, but why do you think that is? Because you like me? Like you. I go out of here every morning. I bust my butt because I like you. You're about the biggest fool I ever saw. A man is supposed to take care of his family. You live in my house, fill your belly with my food, put your behind on my bed because you're my son. It's my duty to take care of you. I owe a responsibility to you. I ain't got to like you. Now, I don't give you everything I got to give you. I give you your life. Me and your mama worked that out. Between us and liking your black ass wasn't part of the bargain. Now, don't you go through life worrying about whether somebody like you or not. You best be making sure that they're doing right by you. You understand what I'm saying? Everything that boy do, he do for you. It's not easy for me to admit that I've been standing in the same place for 18 years. Well, I've been standing with you. I gave 18 years of my life to stand in the same spot as you. When I saw that movie, I could identify with some of those pieces of, as a, a one, six, I was six of eight kids in our family. So yeah, my dad worked really hard to try to provide for us and saw that as his main role of being a provider. And as a pastor, he moonlighted at UPS. And, um, but I always felt like, do you like me? I always felt like, you know, the kids were just kind of a bother to him. And he would discipline out of anger and, and uh, frustration. And um, I just kind of left, was left feeling with different kinds of um, inadequacies and inferior. And I found that, you know, in life I started showing up like this picture. You can show that, Wade. Um, the one on the left is how I started to show up where you see these little dotted lines around, it was almost like um, I had no boundaries. Like in, within those holes there, people could come in and just tell me what to think and how to be and how to act and how to feel. And on the left side, some of the core things when we show up like this is like, I have a low view of myself. And sometimes as a Christian, I think we're kind of taught to have a low view of yourself, but a high view of everybody else. And to take on the emotions and needs of others and take care of them and be there for them, um, we tend to trust. And sometimes too quickly, we let people in in ways that, that um, are coming in and invading who we are. We may get walked on or feel like a doormat. You may have no voice or a weak voice, underreactive, avoiding conflict, and kind of a posture of, yeah, yeah, you're right, and I'm not. Um, easy for in this mode to just say yes to everything and um, out of that pressure to want to please everyone and that fear of disapproval. So that was one side of who I was and then there was a whole nother side that was developing in growing up in this kind of Lutheran bubble and I remember the first time that when we had left our doors and windows unlocked that somebody had come in and stolen money out of my dad's closet. He did the old um, budget system with envelopes and had money and cash envelopes and he always paid cash. And someone had come in and taken all the money that was in those envelopes and, and um, managed to find that. And I remember the first time when mom got up in the middle of the night and she um, 
opened the drapes to look out the window and there was this face looking back at her right there in the window, a man's face, and um, scared her to death. And we started locking our doors. We started locking our windows all the time. And so the, while the one part of me was on the left, there was a whole nother part of me that was on the right with thick walls, no doors, no windows, not wanting to let anybody in. And some of this came from in growing up in the Lutheran church. We thought, uh, just like it says up here, high view of us as Lutherans and a low view of everybody else who doesn't quite get it. <laughs> that we were unaware of emotions and needs and Lutherans didn't like raise their hands and worship and you know all that. It was very, you know, stand up, sit down here and pray here and you know we would never just pray a prayer that we thought of. It was always written out for us and because it had to have the right theology in it. Um, and um, we would trust very little. We wouldn't move out of our circles. I remember going to a graduation one time of one of my siblings and they had a prayer at the commencement. And my dad is, uh, you know, I start to like bow my head and pray and I look over and peek at my dad and he's just looking around and you know, <laughs> and, you know kind of enjoying the scenery and you know and so I later ask him you know what's up and he's like well they're a different religion than we are and couldn't pray with them. So I you know had this view of you know the Lutherans got it and everybody else is really missing the mark. Um, there were other ways that I had started to build up walls and some of these walls were things that I did to try to be liked. I found things that I was good at. I started playing basketball and softball and played in high school and college and, and um, became decently good, I guess. And, and, um, and yet, some of that performance and pressure to perform became kind of a wall of, like, this is my identity, this is who I am, and it really didn't really have all that much to do with who I am. When I was in high school, um, I was playing basketball and I had a lot of black friends and I loved the black culture because they were everything that I wasn't. They were outspoken, they were loud, they were said what they thought, they were emotional, they'd get in your face. <laughs> and it was like I was drawn to them and I had a lot, of, a lot of friends. And one time I wanted to play basketball after school um, with a few of them and it just turned out to be two white girls and two white guys were the only ones who stayed after school. And my dad came and picked me up, and what? Y yeah. <laughs> two white girls, me and, yeah, did I, what did I say? Oh, thank you. He's correcting me, thank you. Um, two, it happened to be two, <laughs> thank you, that's why, I, that's why he's here, he's heard it before. Um, two, white, two white girls and two black guys who were playing basketball after school, thank you. And, um, my dad came to pick us up at, and came in the gym and he saw that it was just two black guys and two white girls and when I got in the car to ride home, he gave me a talking to that he wasn't here to, to um, allow me to have a double date with two black guys. And the message was very clear. You're not about to date a black guy or marry a black guy and I happened to actually have a crush on one at the time, but just wasn't those two. Um, but the message was very clear. Um, later in my 20s, I dated a guy who was from a charismatic background, spoke in tongues and um, had visions and things, and I found out, well, that wasn't okay either with dad. That was too far out of the box. 
And uh, at one point, I had been invited to an athletic banquet with another guy, and, and um, he had been married before. And the message became clear about that. You can't date or marry a divorced guy. So I had walls built up like that. So I found, like, for me, like, kind of um, relationship with men and dating and all that became, like, such a big deal. Like, I had these thick walls around me in different ways, and these walls were um, ways that I protected myself. They were ways that I identified myself. And I think we all have some kind of walls. Um, for me, the walls held in and didn't allow certain things to ever be brought out. Things like emotion or needs. I didn't need anybody. It was kind of um, thought weak to need anybody or spiritually weak to maybe have emotion. I didn't share about struggles or problems. I didn't share about relationships. I certainly wasn't vulnerable. And another odd thing that I held in that never got expressed was the positives of saying I love you. My family never said I love you growing up. Um, we weren't very affectionate. Um, we didn't express a lot of gratitude to each other. There was a lot of the positives that we also didn't share. So I would kind of throw out to you, you know, like um, in that box on the left, I think in some ways as kids we all maybe start out that way, but how were you programmed? You know, what things did your family instill in you that were core values that shaped you and, and um, started to build in something in you? And, you know, where do you tend to show up like that, where you have no voice or no sense of um, being able to speak out what you think or feel or need or want, avoiding conflict? And then on the other side of it, where, where are the walls that maybe you build up? Walls can be a lot of things. Walls can be a wall of humor. It can be a wall of performance of something that you're good at. It can be a wall of anger that keeps people out. It can be a wall of silence when you just clam up, don't talk, don't let anybody in. Um, it could be a wall of criticism or contempt for other people. But somewhere, I bet you have your own version of walls that, that are also there. Well, for me, Somewhere in my 20s, my walls started crumbling in a major way. And some of those were just things I was good at, just wasn't working out, and relationships were breaking up with me. And I remember the first time someone broke up with me and that feeling of rejection that I had, I'd never felt that before. And I was like, to feel rejected was just crushing. It felt like a truck hit me. I'd never been in that place of someone breaking up with me, and it was just devastating to me. The walls started crumbling down, and it was a very painful process, and painful to the point where I didn't want to live. I felt like everything that I knew myself to be was falling apart, including my Lutheran views and doctrines and theology was kind of, um, I don't know, it wasn't, just wasn't working for me. I started asking more questions, and things didn't add up, and, you know, did everybody just believe how they were believing because they were brought up that way? Um, so as I was kind of crumbling, the I that I knew me to be was a huge identity crisis of just, who am I? Who am I? I remember looking in the mirror at one point and seeing this face look back at me and just going, I, like I didn't recognize the face in the mirror, like, who are you? I went through a very painful time, but in the middle of that, somewhere, I picked up the Bible really for the first time for me. I had done it plenty because I had to, 
or um, Lutheran catechism or whatever. But somewhere in that time of reading the Word on my own, it was like something started jumping off the pages and right into my being, and it was love. It was for the first time in my life I thought, here is the God who actually loves me, who likes me. Like there is a father there that really genuinely wants to be with me. And I had never in all those years ever really seen that, that side of who God is. I felt like God was kind of like my dad in many ways. And, and it was like something just broke open. When those walls came crumbling down, something was allowed to come in that was very different. And so this is more like this middle box that I'm going to put up here. If you can put that up, Wade. That, um, so one, on the one hand, I would swing between the dotted lines of having a very weak sense of self and the fear of disapproval to swinging to the other side, which was thick walls of not letting anybody in, which was like a fear of failure. And then something different started to happen, like a, a new me started to, to develop. And this picture was, is to me kind of like what happens when Christ starts to infiltrate your being. And you can see here that this picture has some walls and it has some windows out of which light shines. And it has some doors and you see those little knobs on the inside of the door, which is saying I can um, invite people in or I can close the door when I need to. And um, in this middle box, there's a very high view of self and a high view of other people because of the value and the security and the love that God gives us all. There, there can be an awareness of emotions and needs and I kind of started to realize that because I'm secure in Him, it's okay to like, be, hum be human and have emotions and have needs that I could learn how to trust in a relationship, not just kind of in the left box where I just trust trust freely and not in the right box where you trust nobody but in the middle I could learn to trust as I got to know someone the more that they would invite me into their world and the more I would invite them into my world we would know how know each other how we think how we feel what our dreams are what our failures are what our mistakes are what our talents are um, I could I had learned to start to be assertive and speak the truth in love um, through this time with my dad, you know, on the left box, it was like I had no voice. I had to just think how he thinks. When I was in the right side, I started to push back and um, challenge dad and ask questions and, you know, be, be kind of a snot about it, really. And I, I was pretty rebellious at one point in my life. And then in the middle, it was like something new started to develop where I was wanting to connect with my dad, but I had this mixture of things I had to clear up with him and things I wanted to talk to him about. And, and I remember asking him one time, we were driving in the car, and I remember asking him, uh, Dad, would you, would you rather me marry a black Lutheran or a white non-Lutheran? And he just kind of was stumped. And he kind of said, well, why can't you just marry a, marry a white Lutheran? You know? <laughs> You know, and, um, but somewhere in there, this boldness started to develop in me that I didn't have. It was somewhere this truth and love ability to speak into people's lives and ask questions and to, um, like, I, I think this truth and love is probably one of the most powerful things in, on the planet. And it's what Jesus did a lot. 
And so as the life of Christ continues to just permeate our being, um, that we can speak that truth in love and be responsive, not reactive, but responsive to people. That it's okay to engage in a conflict and to hash through it and learn how to repair and forgive and find a win-win where we both feel like we win. And an attitude of we're both right. That I have a freedom, I had a new freedom to say yes or to say no. Because on the left, I could only say yes. On the right, I had a bunch of no's. And in the middle, it was like, in order to have a, a true yes, you have to have, be able to say no. Or your yes is only as good as like, the people pleasing. So um, in this phase of my life where, um, you know, it was like Christ started to kind of permeate different things. And I think that's a big part of our journey that God will this kind of describes an overall view of we start somewhere of being programmed, we build our own walls and we're trying to like make ourselves into someone we think we should be or want to be. And somewhere along the line, it feels like to me, God allows that third box to just crumble so that he can come in and be who he is with inside of you. Um, there's this verse in Zechariah 2, four and five, and it says this, Jerusalem shall be inhabited as villages without walls because of the multitude of people and livestock in it. And I will be to her a wall of fire around, all around, declares the Lord, and I will be the glory in her midst. To me, that speaks of, it wasn't gonna be the wall that I put up. Jesus is gonna be the one to identify me and give me my individual, my, my walls that, that say, this is what Jesus looks like to Francis. And it looks different to Bill or Nate or William or who, Randy, or <laughs> that everybody still has a uniqueness to them and that he is gonna be the wall that defines you, his love defines you, and how it uniquely looks through you and your story. In John 10, 9, it says, Jesus said, I am the door. That not only is he the wall, but he's the door. And he's that opening, that place where I can open the door and invite someone in. He's that space of where we might connect in a relationship. Um, that, that little knob on the inside of the door, if you can go back to that other picture, um, that little knob on the inside says, his life within me will tell me when to say yes and when to say no. When to invite someone in and how far in and when to, when to not. And like every person, every situation, every, everything is different. There's no cookie cutter answer that to be led by his spirit means I'm listening deeply within himself of going yes here and no here and maybe here and wait here. Um, so the more that my identity is in him, he's my wall that defines me. He's the door that um, allows me to connect with other people. And he's the light, that yellow in the middle. It's maybe hard to see in this picture a little bit, but it's, it's a light yellow. Like, like he's that light that, you know, sometimes you get around people and you can feel it kind of this aura or this sense about them that their light kind of shines out their eyes or their countenance and, and um, maybe you don't even know them, but you can see something, some kind of light coming through the window. Um, if you were to picture these three boxes on a continuum rather than just three boxes, you could go like the further out to the right that you get, the thicker and thicker the walls get. And if you go that far out, you might be called 
a narcissist, antisocial, a sociopath, something like that. Um, if you take this side on the left and go further out and you have fewer and fewer, maybe just a couple dots around the edges, um, you might be called codependent or dependent or you might be called a borderline personality. So the further out we get, the more unhealthy we get. And oftentimes you'll see people on the left that tend to be a little more there attract people on the right in marriage all the time. And what I think is maybe behind that is that we all want to be pulled to the middle. But what we tend to do instead is push each other further out in our, in our unhealthiness. And the only way to really come to the middle is in, um, to be connected to the one who is in the middle, which is, which is Jesus Christ. There's a, a verse in Isaiah 54 that says, two and three, enlarge the place of your tent and let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes, for you will spread abroad to the right and the left, and our offspring will possess the nations and will people the desolate cities. This enlarging the place of your tent. You know, I, like I think of this metal box and how, um, you know, we, we, are, we have a choice to invite people in. And Jesus just kept inviting, inviting, and inviting. And all the people who were on the fringe or that weren't on the inside, he kept inviting them in and inviting them in and inviting them in. And I think that as his life lives within us, that he's inviting us to, to do that with our people in our world. As a counselor, every day that I'm in my counseling office, I'm, I'm often um, sitting on both sides of a fence, so to speak. There are times when I will meet with someone who, a couple, for example, who's working through an affair. So on the one hand, I have someone who's working through the shame of having had the affair. And on the other hand, I have the other person who's working through feeling betrayed of having been cheated on. I may work with an alcoholic in one session. In the very next session, I've got some, a family member who's trying to figure out how to um, how to relate or draw boundaries with the person who is the alcoholic in their family. I've had people who, uh, many who have been sexually abused, and at times I've had some who have confessed that they've done the abusing. Um, I've had people struggle with pornography, sometimes to the point of addiction. And then another session later, I'm working with someone who posed for the pictures. Uh, I have people who have been addicted to marijuana, and then I have another person who's selling marijuana. Um, I have people who would come in and say, I think I'm gay. Another session I'll have someone who's struggled with thinking, oh, um, I have been gay and I've been in a relationship and now I think I'm straight. I have people who have been kind of all over the map. And every time I sit with people, I'm in this place of going, what, is, what does love look like now? And what does love look like now? And what does love look like now? What does is, what is speaking the truth look like? What does truth and love look like? I work with people who are, many are Christians, but I've also worked with people who are Hindu and Buddhist and atheist and Jewish and Catholic and all kinds of things. And every time I sit with somebody, no matter where they're coming from, there's one thing that I keep finding in common, and that's everyone wants to love and be loved. And if God is love, what they're looking for is that relationship with an unconditional source of love.
Um, there's a, if you think about like kind of this personal level of what I'm talking about, it's, you know, in my own, there's a wall around my body and it's called my skin. And I've found that when we're in this middle box, that door represents really, it's by invitation only that we're allowed into someone's world and vice versa. And because of the invitation only, um, you know, if it's, if it's my skin, and if it's by invitation only, then, then that might be a hug or it might be making love. But if it's not by invitation and someone's intruding, then it might be called sexual abuse or rape or assault. If, um, if it's a uh, marriage, and in a marriage, I'm, if it's a uh, invite, invited in, well, it might be called a, a wedding and I have this ring that kind of is a wall to people to say I'm married. But if it's not invited in, it might be called an affair or maybe a divorce. If it's invited into a marriage and it's someone you want into, it might be called kids. If it's your house, your physical house, and it's not invited in, you might call it breaking and entering. But if it's invited in, you might call it a party. If it's a church, you might call it, a, if it's not invited, you might call it a split. But if it's invited, you might call it a plant. We're going to plant another church. If it's a country and it's not invited, you might call it a war or a conquest. But if it's invited in, you might call it a reunification. That Jesus is constantly inviting in and opening the door, but it is by invitation only. It's just that he keeps inviting in. Um, there's a, if you look at the walls of Jerusalem, and some of you probably know the story in the Bible, at least, that there were the walls of Jerusalem that got destroyed, and then in the book of Nehemiah, they were all rebuilt again. Similar to, I think, those pictures of a wall gets built, and it gets destroyed, and God rebuilds it like that middle, that middle box. But over the course of history, a long history, Jerusalem um, has actually been destroyed and rebuilt over 52 times. And this one author that I read online has this quote that he says this. His name is Wayne Stiles. And the quote said this, the walls of Jerusalem and its gates have expanded and contracted through the centuries like the breathing of a living being. That this expansion of walls and contracting is something that we do that's almost like as we invite people in, we expand, and times when we close that door, we contract, and we expand, and we contract, and we expand, and we contract, and we're getting, we're enlarging our tent as we go. Psalm 127 says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. The Lord building the house is like that middle box. When we build the house, it's like that one on the right. Unless the Lord watches over the city and the watchman stays awake in vain, that the Lord is the one to, to build our insides, to build our sense of identity. Um, true connection and true intimacy can really only happen when two people are both in that kind of middle space, that middle box. If two people are on the left and they get in a relationship, well, we might call it in master codependent or something like that. If two people on the right, they both look like that, well, that's either going to be a lot of conflict <laughs> or it's going to be two people that maybe just live under the same roof and don't have much of a connection at all. 
if there are two people in the middle, then it's that mutual, reciprocal, inviting in to our thoughts and feelings and our inner world and, and a true connection. And that true connection is kind of like what we have in, in Christ. And if I think about who God is, he's the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He has the, these individual identities that are there, and yet they are one. And I think that's the kind of relationship he's inviting us into, that we still keep our individual identity, and yet we become one with those that we invite into our worlds. And then if you pictured like this middle box of a whole chain of these, one person invites one person, and then they invite another person, and another person, and another person, and another person. It's kind of like LinkedIn. We, we eventually all get connected. And as we all get connected, we end up being one body. It's not like you have a relationship with every single person in your world, but one by one by one by one, we all get connected. And that love, that yellow light, just starts to um, flow through the whole chain of the body. And that love to me feels like blood circulating through the body that, that he gives us that life. So this, this picture of God um, molding, like we end up molding ourselves and he breaks it down and then he brings in his light and fills us with his light and love. And I know there's many times when I still, I still find myself on the left or the right of that, but my heart and my desire is to um, have that love in a way that starts to permeate my being. As I had gone through my relationship with my dad and, and more and more at times, you know, being in that middle box, there was a lot of healing, a lot of places of um, making amends and, you know, somewhere later in adulthood even saying I love you for the first time. And if there was one thing that maybe I didn't get the chance to express to him, it was, it was the gratitude. It was the, the places where, you know, my heart had healed and I had spoken my truth and, you know, gotten to a lot of places with that. But because of his dementia and then eventually dying, um, I, w I wish I had more time to express that. So maybe he's hearing me right now and that would be great. So um, the light of Christ is circulating through our body just like his blood. And now as we go to communion, um, this is the place where Jesus invites us all in. Uh, no matter what your background is or your story, that he invites everyone in. Because he took his body and he broke it saying, take eat, this is my body broken for you. And then he took the cup and he poured it saying, this is my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. So as you come to the table today, just bring your heart, whatever shape it's in, whatever place you might be in. Maybe it feels like your walls are crumbling down. Maybe it feels like I don't even know who I am and where I'm going. Um, but bring, bring your heart and invite him into you, and he invites you into him. So there is power in the name of Jesus and there's power in the love of Jesus and um, if you tend to be on that left box and, and uh, you have a hard time expressing your opinion or thoughts or feelings or saying no, um, Jesus wants to come in and love you right there and give you that strength and that courage to, to use your voice. And if you tend to be on that right side of the box and you have thick walls and, and he wants to come into that place and 
break down those walls and give you some new walls and, and um, allow you to um, soften your heart and open up. And so even if you're someone who has had an affair or struggles with pornography or um, is gay or straight or black or white or Jewish or Catholic or Buddhist or whatever it might be, God likes you. And he keeps inviting us. He keeps inviting further and further and further. And he's encouraging you to do the same as his love permeates you that you can then invite others in and, and to love them as well. And for me, one simple sign of how God has keep expanding my heart to love is who I married. So Bill is not a Lutheran. He was Catholic. <laughs> he... Uh, he um, to a Lutheran, anybody who raises their hand in worship is charismatic. He's, he's very emotional. He cries at the drop of a hat. And we just did this little um, DNA thing, Ancestry.com, and we're waiting for the results. But he keeps saying, I think I might have some black blood in me because I'm from Sicily and everybody conquered Sicily. And <laughs> so, so who knows? I'll have to let you know on that one. But, but as you go today, just remember that, that Jesus and his love is your wall that Jesus and his love is your doorway, and that his light is the glory in you that shines to other people. So go in peace, in Jesus' name, amen.